Dear gracious, almighty, heavenly Father, we are indeed this morning grateful for your beloved Son, the Lord and the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, that one in whom you are well pleased. We are so very thankful that in him all the blessings provided your people are found in the Lord Jesus Christ. All that he has, all that he is, all that he represents is found also in our inheritance, that we are joint heirs with the beloved Lord Jesus Christ, and that he has life, and as he has righteousness, uh, so do we have life eternal, and so do we have righteousness right now in our hearts through the incorruptible seed, the Lord Jesus, which cannot sin. For this we are indeed so very, very grateful. We are also very thankful for the beloved friendship that we have in gospel bounds, that you have been blessed or you have blessed us with all spiritual blessings in such a way that you have brought us into your house, the house of God, Bethel, the place where you are pleased to make your presence known. In all the land, O God, that surrounds us, There's a place where Christ rules in the hearts of his people, where his word is prominent, where his subjects kneel and reflect upon his great work. We're thankful that when you said upon the cross, it is finished, Lord, you conveyed the great idea and truth that the debt is paid in full, that we sinners who owe so great by nature, have been blessed to be set free from the bondage of the wages of sin, which is death. That we've been given liberty and life everlasting through the person and work of our beloved Savior. Thank you, dear Lord, for all those in attendance today. Thank you for the remembrance of all the needs of your people. Thank you for the victories that we've enjoyed this week. Thank you for the afflictions that we have through them been blessed to see the mighty hand of God. Thank you, O Lord, for those who are in need this morning because you are their ever-abiding physician, that you are able to do above and beyond, exceedingly above and beyond that which we are even capable of thinking. You know the end from the beginning, from ancient times, the things that are not yet done. Saying, my counsel shall stand. Thank you, Lord, for your wisdom and righteous judgments in our life. Not only that which is done for us through Christ, but also that which is done in time. In delivering your people, saving your people, giving your people that which they need. Bless those that are not with us, those that have been mentioned, those who are near and far. Keep them, we pray, each passing moment. Help us, Lord, we pray, to pass our time of sojourning here in this time world in the fear of the Lord. We do pray in his name. Amen. Amen. I invite your attention this morning as we just open for Brother Steve from a, a particular passage of Scripture that sometimes preachers have a tendency to avoid. Like many portions of the Bible, there are certain areas in which speak very plainly 
and very graphically, uh, in so much so that preachers have had a way of avoiding them. Certain passages in the Old Testament and also in the New Testament that convey very serious principles and ideals. Um, But we're reminded by what the Apostle Paul said. He said, all scripture is given by the inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and for instruction in righteousness. This morning I was on the, um, I was on my phone looking up a particular passage in the book of Revelation on a uh, site which is, you know, given to Bible study helps and tools. And, but up popped an advertisement to visit the Holy Land of Jerusalem. And in that site was a beautiful, voluptuous brunette on a surfboard somewhere in the Mediterranean. I mean, you can't escape it. The, the, the subject this morning, in just a brief period, is, this, is, is, the, is the area of sexual immorality. And I'm just going to use what the Bible refers to as the word fornication. And just very briefly, just want to go over uh, a text found in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 where the Apostle Paul deals with this very graphic uh, subject that all of us are susceptible to in our day and age. But the Apostle uh, warns us in very subtle ways throughout the Scriptures, but in particular here in a very uh, practical way. Uh, He he begins with saying in verse 3, For this is the will of God, even your sanctification or your holiness. The Lord's people are uh, born from above. We have the incorruptible seed which is within us, but we nevertheless also have the nature of man in us. In other words, we're fully man. We're of the Adamic nature and we're susceptible to um, sin. And therefore, God expresses his intentions for each one of our lives. Now, some of us might gravitate to the idea, well, Brother Steve is just speaking about young men, the passions and the lust that drive young men. No, we're talking about all men. All men, not just young, not just middle-aged, but elderly men, because passions and lust will continue with us until the day we lay this body down. It is God's will that we understand that we are called to holiness, that God's people are to yield their members as members of righteousness and not uncleanness. This is the will of God. Now, when we think about the will of God, we may be thinking about Uh, God's eternal decrees. Well, there is a will that is expressed in the scriptures that denote God's great eternal decrees. One that I think of immediately is in John chapter 6, verse 39. This is the Father's will, that of all which he hath given me, I should lose nothing, but raise it up again at the last day. And so we can think about those great um, principles that are set forth in the Word of God that speak of God's eternal decrees like Romans 8, 28, 29, and 30, John 6, 39, and these kind of things that reflect God's intentions from before the foundation of the world. But the will here of which he speaks is a will that denotes something practical in nature, something that he aims for each one of us on how to behave ourselves and conduct ourselves in this time world. 
He said, this is the will of God, even your sanctification. He's coming right out in plain language. He said, said, number one, that you should abstain from fornication. That you should abstain. Now, that word abstain is a dirty word in our day and culture. They don't want you to abstain. They want you to be a participant. They want you to be contributory toward these things. They think it's a greater lesson, even at a young age, for people to learn, children to learn. But the Bible says abstain from that. In other words, avoid it. Turn away. Flee. In the uh, epistle, second epistle to Timothy, chapter 2, the apostle uses the words flee from youthful lust. And that word flee, literally, is a word whereby we get fugitive. So the Lord's people are running, you see, because something is pursuing you. Something is pursuing you when you're getting aids and helps in our day and age and our culture that seek to undermine that. One of the things I was reading this morning in that Bible study forum was over there in the book of Revelation and within the churches of Asia Minor, it was interesting to note that Satan was very involved within those early churches. In some churches, the, the, the phrase where Satan's seat was. And in another church, it was where the, they've known the depths of Satan. And so, you know, from our standpoint of a church, God hedges about and protects us from that which is the darkness and the sinfulness of this evil world. But it's interesting, in that early church, they had to grapple with some great and some serious issues that were running over from the culture. And maybe in the future, that those same kind of issues will need to be faced front on uh, from the Lord's people from a gospel perspective. So abstain from fornication. Number two, that everyone should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor. In other words, we have the God-given ability as children of God to be able to make the proper choices. You see that? In other words, we're not in this fatalistic, I can't help myself mode, which some religious people find themselves. In other words, you know, these circumstances are too great. No, that's, that's never an option. God gives you the ability to not only abstain, but also to know how to possess because you're in, you're in the pow- you have the power to control your own vessel. It doesn't control you. How many times have we realized that, you know, somebody uses a, an excuse and says, well, I can't help myself. That's not an option in God's Word. It's not an option for the children of God. You're all to know how. That tells us that we have to have a knowledge, an innate knowledge of the Word of God. You know, you need no help now in the functions of the human body. You you don't have to go to school. You don't need a doctor. You don't need a pill. The, The functions of the human body are very natural. doesn't take a whole lot of education, does it? But you do need to know and you need to be educated in terms of what God's Word says about it. You know, we, we mentioned some of the lives of brothers and sisters, I might add, in the Old Testament that we don't mention. And some of the greatest problems in the patriarch family of Jacob, for instance, 
centered around sexual immorality. We could fast forward to the day in which the Lord Jesus Christ dealt with it. And there a woman was taken in the very act of adultery, John chapter 8. In John chapter 4, we're talking about the Samaritan woman who not just had one husband, she had five. I mean, she was really running the course. So God's people are susceptible to the worst case scenarios. None of us are exempt from falling prey to the depths of satanic, popular, if you will, pop culture ideals. We're facing them in a real-time environment. Number three, notice this, that no man, of course, verse 5, I'll skip over, not in the lust of concupiscence, even as the Gentiles which know not God. And so the Apostle Paul is reminding the Lord's people here not to follow what you once were. We're all Jews, if you will, by nature. We've been called out of darkness and translated into God's marvelous light. We're no longer to follow what we've been brought out of, the kingdom of darkness. That's God's yoke upon you. Say, this burden I've got is a burden to follow the Lord. Yes, it's, e- it's, not, excuse me, it's heavy. In other words, it's not easy. But that's what God calls us to do, to possess our vessels in honor. That's another subject over there in the same uh, epistle that I was referring to. But notice this, verse number 3, No man should go beyond and defraud his brother in any matter. And of course he's thinking about uh, this area in which I've mentioned, this carnality. Don't go beyond and defraud. Now that word defraud in, in the Greek literally means to overreach. And if I might say something to the young men in our assembly today, and on the middle-aged men and the older men today, that you need to be wise as to what you're feeling in your heart when you're around another woman. You see? Because sometimes you may have the idea in your mind that what you're thinking is what she's thinking. And that's not the truth. The truth is sometimes what you think is completely different than what somebody else is thinking. The point is that you confine yourself, you guard yourself, and you don't overreach in areas where you think you're being led. In other words, you know what's right, and you know what's wrong. And you stop right there, and you draw a line. You draw that line in the sand. Regardless of the circumstances, a woman may be very emotional. She may be very affectionate. She may express things to you that you may read in the wrong light. Now, the idea here is by taking advantage of another person so that you can satisfy your own personal lust on someone else. That's what it refers to, by not defrauding and going beyond your reach. All... If I can be so explicit, carnality outside the bounds of holy matrimony is really a satisfaction for oneself. I've mentioned not long ago that the essence of sin is self. It's, It's me. And if you boil down what's taking place in the dark corners of this earth, it's all about me. It's all about myself. It's self gratification. It's consuming my passions for the satisfaction of myself. Somebody might get the idea, no, love is really for someone else. I'm, I'm sharing my love with another person. No, what you're doing in this 
particular text is defrauding another person so that you may satisfy the lust of your flesh to feed your own selfish interest. That's what it is outside of marriage. And that's why young people who like to practice the uh, options before holy matrimony are committing a grave sin of selfishness. A pastor was once uh, entreated by two young people in, their, in his church. They came to him, said, Pastor, we are interested in taking a cruise for two weeks. Now, we're, we don't plan to get married, but we promise you, Pastor, that we're going to have two separate cabins. And, of course, the pastor warned against it. He didn't think it was a good idea. Well, when the kids came back, they entered the pastor's study with their heads low. Because they confessed that they could not keep the word that they promised. And they asked the pastor, where did we go wrong? And he said, when you purchase the tickets to go on a cruise. There are certain safeguards. You know, a, a horse, if you watch a horse in the city, they have blinders. And the Lord's people, you're like everybody else. You have the same feelings, you have the same motions, you have the same mechanisms going on in your body as everybody else does. But you have the light of the glory of God in you. And God is calling upon you, this is the will of God, even your sanctification. And you put those blinders on, and you keep your head straight, and your eyes focused, and your affection set on things which are above, and you will be free from the consequences and the ramifications of the depths of Satan. This is the area in which they do not tell you. They glorify, they beef up, they encourage you in certain areas, but they do not tell you of the consequences of being involved with the dark side. I want to move on. Number four. Because the Lord is the avenger of all such. The Lord has a particular stake in this matter. And the Lord will himself judge you. He'll take it personally to judge you in these kind of activities. Be forewarned. That's what he says. We also have forewarned you and testified. For God hath not called us unto uncleanness, but unto holiness. And the last point I'll make here, number 5, verse 8. He, therefore, that despiseth, despiseth not man, but God. So if you look down upon your brother in a sinful way, you are entangling with God. You're picking the fight with God because you're not despising man. You're despising God. He's the avenger of all such sins. May the Lord bless you today. 1 Samuel chapter 2, there's a portion of a verse that uh, really uh, began to ponder this and think about this and and read through it several times after I found out that uh, uh, Craig and Maria were going to bring Taylor to church this morning. This was uh, several days ago, and this blessed my heart in thinking on this. 1 Samuel chapter 1. We'll go down to verse 27 and then we'll back up and kind of look at the the gist of it right here. But Hannah in talking to the Lord says, 
just a real small phrase right here. And, and every parent can relate to, to Hannah right here. She said, for this child, I prayed. For this child, I prayed. If you back up into the first portion of the chapter, it talks about uh, Elkaniah that had, uh, he had two wives. Scriptures don't recommend that. We'll see that he had some challenges in having two wives. But he had two wives and, and one of them had uh, uh, Panina. Anybody remember the message Brother Mike Rogers preached? And he renamed her, didn't he? He named her Penny because it's a little easier to say and a little easier to remember. But Penny and Hannah were the two wives of Elkaniah. And, and Hannah was without children. Hannah was barren, and it says later that the Lord had not opened her womb to have child. But uh, Panina had children, and so she would she would uh, make it hard for Hannah. She would uh, uh, she would uh, 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 mock her and make light of her because she didn't have children. And it just made it much more difficult for Hannah to bear in addition to, to not having uh, a child and, and not being able to uh, bear children. It made it, it made it extra hard because of the provoking of uh, Panina. And it said that Hannah cried unto the Lord. And Hannah would go back and, and pray unto the Lord. And then it talks about one particular time that uh, she was greatly burdened because she had no children. And, and, and she, she shared this burden with, uh, with her husband, with uh, Elkaniah. And, and he said unto her, he said, well, he said, Hannah, I, I give you more attention. I give you more than what 10 sons could give you. He said, don't I, don't I care for you and don't I provide for you? But yet there was something that was, uh, was weighing heavy on her because she was without child. And he said that the, the, it says her adversary uh, provoked her sore to make her fret because the Lord had shut up her womb. And as he did so, her husband, year by year, when she went up to the house of the Lord, so she provoked her, therefore she wept and did not eat. And that's when Elkaniah said unto her, am I not better to you than, than ten sons? Verse, uh, verse 10 says that Hannah was in bitterness of soul, and she prayed to the Lord, and she wept sore. Anybody here ever experienced bitterness of soul? I'm so glad I'm the only one that ever experienced that. Did you know what the solution for bitterness of soul is? What Hannah did right here. If you've got something in your life that has weighed on you, in Hannah's case, it was being provoked by... Elkaniah's other wife 
But if you've got something in your life that's bringing about bitterness of soul, we've got a good solution. Hannah went and prayed to the Lord. So if there's something in your work, if there's something in your family, if there's something in your own life that's bringing about bitterness of soul, you take it to the Lord. You go pray about that person. You pray about yourself. And the Lord will bless you to be able to overcome it. It says that Hannah was in bitterness of soul and she prayed to the Lord and she wept sore. And Hannah vowed a vow. Anybody ever vowed a vow to the Lord? Did you keep it? Hannah vowed a vow to the Lord and said, Lord, she almost made a... a, a, a proposition to the Lord. She said, Lord, if thou will look upon the affliction of thine handmaiden and remember me and forget not thine handmaiden, but will give unto thine handmaiden a man child, she says, then I'll turn around and I'll give him back to the Lord. She said, no razor will come upon his head. And if you go back and look in the Old Testament, that's the, the, uh, the oath of a Nazarite that the Razor would not come upon their head, and there's much more to it than that. And it came to pass, as she continued praying before the Lord, that Eli marked her mouth, because it says that Hannah was was so grieved in her heart that as she was praying, it says that, that her heart was, that she spake in her heart, but she didn't speak with her voice. Her, her, her lips were moving, her mouth was moving, but... But she was, she was so burdened that maybe she didn't even have the, the words to say it. Anybody ever been there? You, you've been so burdened you almost didn't know what to say. And here Hannah was praying to the Lord and it says that her, her lips were moving and she spake in her heart only. You know, that's also some good encouragement right here. It's not always necessary that we speak audibly. We can speak to the Lord in our heart. In fact, that was one of the areas that Elder Compton shared with Brother Steve and myself about prayer is that you, you can pray from the heart. It doesn't have to be a lot of words. And in Hannah's case, her, her lips were moving and Eli, the priest, as, he, as Eli looked upon her and he saw her lip, lips moving, but no words coming out. It says Eli put his hand upon her mouth and Eli thought that she was drunken. And Eli even said to her, how long will thou be drunken? Put away thine wine from thee. And Hannah answered and said, no, my Lord, I am a woman of a sorrowful spirit. I have neither drunk i have i have drunk neither wine nor strong drink but have poured out my soul unto the lord great encouragement for us right here when we're overcome with bitterness of soul when we're overcome with a heavy heart we pour out our soul unto the lord so whatever it is that's troubling you whatever it is that's weighing you down you can pour out your soul unto the Lord. Amen. Eli 
she says, um, says, Eli answered and said, Go in thy peace, and the God of Israel grant thee thy petition that thou hast asked of him. And she said, Let thine handmaid find grace in thy sight. So the women went her way and did eat, and her countenance was no more sad. You know, that is, that is so, that is such a blessing. Isn't it a blessing to see that transformation in other folks? Isn't it a blessing when you see someone that's overcome with despondency and despair and and, and you're just not uh, telling them to uh, put a smile on their face, but that that change comes from the inside out, that you see they're encouraged, not in themselves, but in the Lord. Look what it says right here. It says, she went on her way. And her countenance was sad no more. That is such a great blessing when you see the Lord, when you see the Lord encouraging his people. And you see their countenance encouraged. Sometimes the situation doesn't change. Sometimes the situation stays the same. God can change or deliver us from certain situations, but sometimes God may not choose to deliver us, and yet God can encourage us. And it reflects in our countenance when he does. Says she went on her way. Her countenance was changed. She was no more sad. It says, we'll we'll just briefly go through the rest of it here. It says, wherefore it came to pass, the time was come that Hannah had conceived and she bare a son and she called his name Samuel. And it goes back to say that she took the child and she offered the child unto the Lord. The I want to address a couple of other areas right here. But she had this little child. And she said, for this child, I prayed. Now, I expect, I'm certain that before little Taylor was born, Maria and Craig were praying for her. Way before that. I know they started praying at least nine months before. God would bless them to have a healthy child. A child that they could raise in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And that no doubt they'd been praying a long time before. Did you know that that's not the first time that these children have been prayed for. And it's not the only ones that these children have been prayed for. I expect that Maria's parents and Craig's parents have been praying for this little baby. And I expect that Craig's grandmother, Miss Sarah Carter, that's almost 100 years old, Probably many years ago, was not only praying for Craig, but praying for his wife and praying for his children. Many years before that. But did you know that that's not where the prayers begin? That's a long way back. Parents have a special, special blessing, a special outlet, a special opportunity, a special privilege a special requirement to pray for their children. 
Brother Mark and I used to have some business dealings together, and oftentimes before a big decision was made, we would pray. And when he would pray, he'd start with his kids, and he would go all the way down the list. And he didn't just pray for all of his kids in general. He named each one of them specifically. Did you know that you've been prayed for specifically? You don't ever get too old to pray for your kids. Shirley Carroll is 82 years old. She calls her mother, Sister Hayes, mommy. Sister Hayes will be 99 her next birthday, just turned 98. And Sister Hayes says, Shirley has lots of back pains. She has lots of trouble. And she says, oftentimes, Shirley will call me. Sometime in the late hours of the day, in the wee hours of the morning. And she'll say, Mommy, I'm in so much pain. Would you pray for me? A mother's prayer. You don't ever get too old to pray for your children. In fact, probably as they hit the teenage years, you probably pay harder, don't you? <laughs> well, did you know that about 2,000 years ago, You were prayed for. Say, wow. I wouldn't even, my parents didn't even think about me at that time. Who could have offered prayer on my behalf 2,000 years ago? Did you know that you were prayed for not only by your parents, your grandparents, possibly your great-grandparents, maybe even more than that. Sister Perry is meeting today with her family, and there's five generations. And that's pretty neat that a great-great-grandmother or however many greats can pray for their family and, and, and actually witness it. And what a great blessing that that is. But did you know that there were prayers going up on your behalf 2,000 years ago. Got proof of it. John chapter 17. Jesus said, boy, now, I'm thankful when my mom prays for me, my dad, thankful my grandparents prayed for me, thankful my pastor prayed for me. But I tell you what, it's extra special to know that Jesus Christ prayed for me. About 2,000 years ago, it says that the words spake Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour is come, John chapter 17, glorify thy son that thy son may also glorify thee. Jesus lifted up his eyes to heaven and he 
He spake to the Father. That's what prayer is. You don't have to lift up your eyes to heaven. That's what Jesus did. Uh, You know, God can hear your prayer if you're driving down the road. He can hear your prayer uh, when you're at the workplace. He can hear your prayer when you're facing a big exam. Luke, have you ever prayed before you took a test? I expect God heard your prayer. God hears your prayer even in the schoolhouse. But prayer is looking to God and speaking to him. And Jesus did that on your behalf. And he prayed for some specific things. Now, when you pray for others, you generally have something in mind. Either the health, the well-being, the protection. You generally have something in mind. And when Christ prayed for you, he had something in mind. Christ had a purpose. Did you know we have a purposeful God? We do. And do you know what? When he purposes it, it's as good as done. I'm so thankful that not only do we have a God of purpose, but when he purposes it, you don't have to question his ability to perform it or make it happen. That's one of the things I really do like about the doctrines of grace, of sovereign grace, that if God purposes it, it will be done. And he doesn't have to worry about our inabilities. He comes on down. John chapter 17. Good good instruction to go home and read. You'd, you'd be blessed by the whole chapter. I'm just going to hit a few points right here. But as Christ prayed for you. As he mentions some purposeful things right here in John chapter 17. He says. Uh, he's talking about what he was called to do. He says, and this is life eternal, that they may know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. He says, I have glorified thee on earth. I have finished the work that thou gavest me to do. And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory that I had before thee, before the world was. He says, I have manifest thy name unto men. Thou gavest me out of the world. Thine they were, and thou gavest them me. And he says, and they have kept thy word. Now they have known that all things whatsoever thou given me are of thee. He says in verse uh, verse 9, he says, I pray for them. He says, I pray not for the world, for the whole world. But he says, but for them which thou hast given me. He says, they are thine, and all mine are thine, and thine are mine, and I am glorified in them. He says, he says, he says you've given me a people, and I'm praying for them. And he was praying for you. If you love the Lord Jesus Christ, and you have a hope of glory, and you delight to live with him in glory someday, he was praying for you 2,000 years ago. And he said, Father... He says, they're mine. You've given them to me. And he says, all mine are thine. And he says, I'm glorified in them. He says, um, he says, and now I am no more in the world, but these are in the world. And I come to thee, Holy Father, keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me, that they may be one as we are one. He basically, he's praying for you. And he says, Lord. Those that you've given me, would you keep? Now, I I really do believe that one of the points of our doctrine is eternal security. That just simply means that once saved, always saved. 
That simply means that if you were, God has given you spiritual life, he's not going to take it away from you. If God's written your name in the Lamb's book of life, you're going to live in heaven with him in glory someday. You say, well, what if I, what if I make a mistake along the way? Well, join the crowd. What if I, if I mess up on the last day of my life? You're in good company. Because you're not saved by your works. You're not saved. Get this and hold on to it. You're not saved by the continuance of your good works. You're saved by God's grace. If you live in glory someday, it's going to be by his amazing grace. It comes on down and he says, um, he says, uh, it, it, it continues to emphasize that he prays that, that their joy, that they would have joy in the Lord. He prays that they would not be overtaken by the world. He prays that they'll be encouraged and sanctified in truth. He's praying on our behalf. Verse 22 says, And the glory which thou hast given me, I've given them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I and them, and thou and me, that they may be made perfect in one. And that the world may know that thou hast sent me, and thou hast loved them, as thou hast loved me. You say, that just is beyond my imagination, that I could be made perfect. It says, through him... We're made per- perfect in Christ. And he says, we're also loved by the Father the same way that he loves the Son. As thou hast loved him, thou hast loved me. Father, I will, and this is the end of his prayer. Father, I will that they also, which thou hast given me, that they be, be with me where I am. He's praying. That you're going to end up with him. Now he's with us right now in the Holy Spirit. But you know we sing that song what a day that will be. And what a day that truly will be. When we're with the Lord eternally forever. And 2,000 years ago Christ was praying for you. That you would end up with him. Now don't you think if Christ was praying to, to the Father. That you would end up with him. Don't you think. That you will. He says. Father I will that they also. Whom thou hast given me. That they may be with me where I am. Say well where's heaven. I'm not sure. I believe it's up up there. Over there. I don't believe it really matters so much. Where heaven is. But who's going to be there. And he says that he's there, and he's praying that we'll be there with him. He says, and that they may behold my glory, which thou hast given me, for thou lovest me before the foundation of the world. And you can go to Revelation chapter 5 and chapter 13 and see that he loved us as well. But he says that they may behold my glory. So he's praying for you that you'll be with him where he is. He's also praying that you're going to behold the glory of the Lord. Now, that's pretty amazing. 
O righteous Father, the world hath not known thee, but I have known thee, and these have known thee that thou hast sent me. And I have declared unto them thy name, and I will declare it, and the love wherewith thou hast loved me may be in them, and I in them. He said, these that I'm praying for, I've loved. And I'm going to love them all the way to the point that they're with me in glory. Hannah said, for this child, I prayed. Wasn't only Hannah praying for that child, but many of the ones that had gone on before. All the way back to Jesus Christ. What a blessing it is to be able to pray for the little children, for the big children, for all of them as they grow up. But it ought to encourage each one of us here to know. It ought to humble us to know that we've been prayed for by our parents. We've been prayed for probably by our grandparents and maybe great-grandparents. But most especially, we've been prayed for by Jesus Christ himself. It ought to encourage us in the Lord. He was praying that we're going to be with him where he is. He's praying that we'll recognize the glory and be able to glorify the Father. He's praying that we're going to be able to overcome the world in which we live. He's praying that we're going to know him. And I believe when he prays, it's effective. When he prays and petitions for us. For this child, I pray. May God bless you. We're glad you've been able to listen to this podcast. We invite you to come and worship with us on a Sunday morning. Our services begin with hymn singing at 10.30 a.m. Mount Carmel Primitive Baptist Church is located at 1707 Churchville Road in Bel Air, Maryland. If you've enjoyed this message, we invite you to subscribe to our podcast in iTunes or in your favorite podcast application.